What's up, Dolphin fans? Welcome to Season 2 of the Same Old Dolphin Show. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Brain, what's happening? We're back, baby! We are back, baby! Season 2 of the Same Old Dolphin Show. It's been a, been a long off-season. We, we did one quick episode when Jarvis Landry left the building... We had some plans to maybe try to get another couple episodes done over the course of the off-season, but schedules and things didn't allow us to record a post-draft episode in a timely fashion, and, you know, two weeks after the draft is not really the time to be putting out a big, in-depth draft sort of post-mortem, so we decided, ah, to heck with it, we'll be able to touch on the draft a little bit when we get into training camp and we start looking ahead at the season, and and that's what we're going to do today, Brain. We're back, and we're going to take a look at the state of the 2018 Miami Dolphins as we are in training camp. Training camp has begun as we record this episode. Football is back, and I think it's I think it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. If you can get past all of the sort of off-the-field shenanigans that you're dealing with when you're dealing with the NFL, um, and you can sort of focus just on the game, it's pretty fun. You can get a little excited. I mean, we can talk about whether or not you're able to actually put all that off-field nonsense aside, and I mean, I could certainly go on a whole monologue about it, but this is a season preview show. We want to talk about the Dolphins. We want to talk about what this team looks like, so I'm going to try not to get into that today. Um, Yeah, let's not, let's make a concerted effort not to get into the off-field stuff, because this is exciting, this is an exciting time. The season is starting, we're, what, like a week away from the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game, what is that, next weekend? Yeah, it's coming up as we record this next weekend. So football is upon us. Well, I, I, I really put training camp and the NFL preseason, I like to sort of describe it as it's that feeling of the start of training camp is basically Thanksgiving, and then all of training camp and preseason is that period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then you get to that opening Sunday of the NFL season, and that is football Christmas, baby. Yeah, I I could kind of see that because you're all excited, you know, about Thanksgiving, and you chow down, and it's a great time, and it's like, you know, that's like the first preseason game. That's the start. You're like, yeah, there is football on TV. There is NFL football on TV. And then you've got this month of, you know, you're excited, but then you realize that the preseason kind of sucks and shopping for Christmas at that time kind of sucks and stressing out about the holidays kind of sucks. So I I could kind of see that. So uh, I think it's a good analogy. Yeah, because, yeah, then you realize you're watching the third and fourth string guys on the Bears and the Ravens in a preseason game. And you're like... Why am I doing this to myself? It's just it's like when you, thing. Have, it's when you have that fourth round of mashed potatoes. Why am I doing this to myself? Oh, but I know that full well. I, I go into that fourth round of mashed potatoes and I'm like, oh, I'm going to regret this in about an hour. But 
screw it. It's Thanksgiving. I, right. I want those potatoes and I want that, that pecan pie and that pumpkin pie. And I'll have a little bit of that and I'll have a little bit of that. And, uh, yeah, the next day is, uh, is not great. Yeah. It's always a little rough, but you know, you've got to make those sacrifices in order to truly have a, a, a great holiday. If you're going to really do it, let's do it. And if you're excited about football, you're ready to watch the fourth string for the Ravens and the Bears in the in the Hall of Fame game. It is what it is. I mean, you're going to this... get some Lamar Jackson in that game probably. So it's actually going to be uh, something exciting to watch. Yeah, the same thing happens to me every year, which is I'm so excited, so excited. And by the second quarter of that first preseason game, I'm just like, ugh. This is terrible football. There's no game planning. They've barely been practicing. They're backups. It's it's just a mess. That second and third preseason game, that's where it starts to get a little bit interesting. The fourth preseason game is pretty much a throwaway, and then it's time to, to strap them on for real. I'm going to take issue with that because I like that fourth preseason game when you've got all of these guys desperate to try to make the team. Um, it's, uh, you always get those guys who are, it's the difference between being the third backup and being on the practice squad. And it's those guys fighting for their, fighting for their jobs, basically. And I kind of get into that, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about that as we get going onto this show. The bulk of the show this week is we're going to be going position by position, talking about where the Dolphins are at that position, going through the depth chart and, and talking about what the big questions are in those positions as we enter the start of training camp. But before we get into all of that, I've got we got a pretty lengthy set of Twitter questions from from Noah at Noah's a dork on Twitter. And Brain, I'm gonna I'm gonna feed you these questions, okay? And you're gonna you're gonna hear all these and then you're gonna dive in and answer them to the best of your ability. Are you ready? I'm ready. I haven't even I haven't even been on Twitter in months, so <laughs> lay it on me. I haven't seen any of these. Fantastic. By the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Same Old Dolphins. Follow the show on Twitter at Same Old Dolphins. Follow me at Amplified to Rock. And follow Aaron, who's never on Twitter, at Aaron the Brain. Here we go. Well, it's football season, so I'll be back. You'll be back dropping that hard analysis on the people. Here we go. Noah says, how do you feel about the offseason moves? Did they go along with your call to build this team for the future by adding youngish free agents uh, slash trades like Wilson, Quinn, etc.? Were you pleased they didn't pay another aging injured tight end a huge contract? Um, I'll interject a yes here. Uh, also, with all the talk of the changes this team has made with guys quote-unquote, wanting to be here, quote-unquote, doing the extra work, etc. Everyone brings up Pouncey, Sue, and Landry. However, do you think it might have been more guys like Maxwell, Thomas, and Fasano that weren't preparing properly? That's a lot to unpack there, Brain, but I'm handing it over to you. Yeah, there were a lot of questions in there, so uh, I'm going to try my best to remember them and just kind of give you my answers and my general thoughts on the offseason. I thought in general it was a decent offseason. I thought that they showed some restraint uh and I think that they made some good moves that were really necessary moves because they came into the to the offseason well over the cap. So it's not like 
it's not like they had much of a choice in some of these moves. They basically offered, you know, and Dominican Sue to restructure. He said no. So they said, okay, well, we've got to let him go. Uh, they had the decision of whether or not to pay Jarvis Landry. Now, uh, I believe we did a show after the Landry uh, move was made and I wasn't thrilled about it. I still am not thrilled about it. And I, and my reasoning is the same, which is not that I necessarily think that Jarvis Landry, the wide receiver that he is, is worth what he essentially gets paid. But you're essentially giving him you're you're basically paying that same amount of money now to two guys to replace him. One of which Danny Amendola is kind of a poor man's Jarvis Landry who also has a history of getting hurt every single year. So you're kind of hoping for maybe eight to 10 games where he can kind of give you what Jarvis Landry can give you. And then an Albert Wilson who is kind of similar, but maybe a little bit more versatile, a little bit more of a downfield threat, but really has never proven to be anything better than a number three or number four receiver. And that's really all he's going to be on this team. And you are going to spend that money on receiver on the position, on the same position to me, I would rather have just kept Jarvis Landry. Now, I do know that they have their concerns about off the field and leadership, and that's going to lead me into answering the other question that he had about, um, you know, was it Sue and Landry and I forget who else he met, and Pouncey, like, were those the guys that, that Adam Gase was He also uh, mentioned Maxwell and Fasano. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I never really heard anything about Anthony Fasano being a guy that, that didn't take on a leadership role or didn't work really hard. But Anthony Fasano, you know, was the backup tight end kind of at the end of his career. And Julius uh, Thomas. Yeah. Well, and Julius Thomas, I mean, if those guys are your leaders, then – in, and they weren't getting the job done, you know, I get it. But I think the focus, and you you heard Gase made the, make the comment last year. You heard it uh, before the, the Ajayi trade. Uh, there were rumors that Jarvis Landry was going to get traded at the deadline because he was one of those guys. Uh, we've heard the rumors about Pouncey. Um, we've, we've heard rumors about Sue, but the, the truth is about Sue – um, from from most accounts is that while he's not this, you know, rah-rah guy, you know, who who leads by going and telling people what to do, he's more of a lead by example guy. For the most part in his few years down here, Ndamukong Sue was a model player, a dominant force, and didn't get into any trouble and always showed up and really did not cause any problems. The Indomitian Sioux departure from my eyes was all about money. It was just, they signed him to an, an enormous contract uh, and the cap number went up 
you know, it skyrocketed this year and they had to kind of make a decision. You know, do we gut the team to keep Ndamukong Sue or do we let Ndamukong Sue walk? Obviously, they wanted to restructure Ndamukong Sue and he said no. So their hands were were tied or their hands were forced in that respect. So they had to let him go. Um, I would have paid Jarvis Landry. I would have rather paid Jarvis Landry instead of uh, signing two mediocre receivers. But I think by bringing those guys in, I think it probably they, they probably don't get appreciably better or worse at that at that position. It probably makes them a little bit more well-rounded, uh, a little bit deeper. But I think it it brings down the top end of their receiving core. And what it leaves is it leaves a need for one of those two guys. Well, one of the, you know, four or five guys that we're really expecting, or maybe six, if you count Jakeem Grant, one of those guys has to step up in my eyes. Um, Kenny Stills has been really solid since he's been here. Devonte Parker has shown some flashes, but he's been a disappointment. This is the year where, you know, Devontae Parker's in a contract year, basically. He's got to step up. Otherwise, he is not part of this team's future. But he's really the guy that needs to step up because Kenny Stills can do his thing on the on the other side. But he's not really a number one receiver. The only guy on this roster that has the potential of being a number one stud receiver is Devontae Parker. Um, so I didn't love the move, but I don't think it necessarily made them a lot worse. The fact that they brought those guys in on shorter term deals at, you know, I believe the Amendola deal is only a one year deal. Wilson's a three year deal, but it's at a lower cost. It gives them more flexibility at that position. So if Devonte Parker has his breakout, they've got some room to pay him. So I, I get it. I didn't love it, but I get it. Uh, not going out and spending money on tight end. Uh, yeah. I mean, who would they have spent the money on? I mean, and one of the things that I really liked about the Dolphins draft this year was getting Gasecki in the second round, who many believe the best receiving tight end and arguably the best tight end prospect in the entire draft. Uh, I think that he comes in and immediately uh, makes a difference in this passing game. Um, and then they went out and they also got... Uh, Durham Smythe, who's more of a blocking tight end. So they, they really solidified their tight end position in the draft. So it really should not be a concern anymore. They've got depth. They've got competition there. They've got some guys. They've got a guy that is a receiver at tight end, and they've got some guys that can block. Uh, that should no longer be an issue for the next three or four years from where I'm, from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I think uh, as, you, as you look at the sort of moves that the Dolphins made this offseason, they didn't, they, they played it smart. They didn't splash out tons of cash. I mean, you could say they, they paid quite a lot of money for Danny Amendola, maybe more than they should have. Okay, I could give you that. But this is a team that they didn't go out and make the big desperation signing. They didn't make those kinds of moves that are like, these are the people that are going to be that are going to make this team a Super Bowl contender. They didn't go out and and try to make a couple of signings that were going to make all of the difference. They they played within themselves in the this offseason and I think you've got a team that has um I think as you look at this team, 
obviously there's a, there's the potential for there to be a very low floor with this team, but I think I think they're going to play well above that. I think you they've you've got a team here that we know is in the middle of a rebuild, if you want to call it that. Gase sort of doesn't like to call it that, but this is a team that is taking steps and they're they've got the youth in the team and they're going to get that established and probably you're looking at maybe next season a couple years two three years down the road you're going to be looking at taking this team from where they are right now where they're pretty middle of the pack in the AFC to taking a couple of big steps forward and trying to become a real championship contender in the league so I I I like the way that this offseason has gone for this team Brain, you, you talked a good amount there about wide receivers and tight ends, so I don't know that we need to really uh, go into a deep dive in either of those positions as we as we go down the line here. I think losing Julius Thomas and Anthony Fasano, I think there have been worse losses in the franchise, um, and I think they're in good shape in the tight end department. As you mentioned, the wide receiving core is probably not quite as good as it was when Jarvis Landry was here, but the moves they made, I think they've got a they've got a wide receiving core that can be competitive and as long as all of these receivers work well together and they're aided by strong quarterback play, I think you've got more than enough to to put a pretty good aerial assault together. And and I guess that should be the place that we're going to start if we're going to start a conversation about where this team is this season. Let's start with that quarterback position because that's obviously the area where this team has upgraded the most with Jay Cutler and his one-year stint with the Miami Dolphins, best left in the past. Ryan Tannehill is back. And by all accounts, he is very fired up and he is ready to get out onto the field. And this is a pretty big season for him. I mean, at this point, the Dolphins have pretty much put everything in the Ryan Tannehill basket this season. I guess that's the big story at quarterback is that they didn't spend big money to try to bring in a proven backup quarterback. The The backup situation is really up in the air right now with Brock Osweiler, David Fales, and, and Bryce Petty as your three backups for the Dolphins. Um, those guys will fight it out to determine who's going to be Tannehill's backup. But, I mean, it's it's there. The chips are in the Tannehill basket uh, this season. And at this point, it's, it's very clear. It's Ryan Tannehill, lead us to glory. You're our guy. And, you know, I mean, when you look at his last 16 games on the field as a Miami Dolphin, you understand why they do that. You understand why Gase is willing to to take a shot on him despite the injury worries. And, you know, I, I we, we voiced our opinion. We said we wanted to make sure that we were drafting a, a big quarterback. Both of us were very vocal about wanting a big backup quarterback uh, taken in the draft, somebody that was ready to take over if something should happen to Tannehill. The Dolphins decided not to do that, whether it was people not falling to them or, you know, making a value pick other, uh, elsewhere as opposed to drafting a quarterback. Whatever the case is, the Dolphins are all in on Ryan Tannehill this year and are they're expecting him to play well. And quite frankly, I'm expecting him to play well 
Also, it's just a matter of whether or not he can stay healthy. So, Brain, you want to give us your thoughts on the quarterback situation for the Miami Dolphins? This was one area of the offseason that I did not like. I was very vocal that I thought that the Dolphins needed to get a quarterback in this draft, uh, and it needed to be in the first round, that they had an opportunity uh, with four quarterbacks that all graded out extremely high, uh, that they they could have gotten one of them, and at the very least have an insurance policy for Ryan Tannehill getting hurt uh, or not performing well. And even if Ryan Tannehill played well, you have seen in this league over the past few seasons quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round, the second round, the third round that have been backups but have shown flashes when they've gotten an opportunity and they are gold to have. It is not a bad thing to have a really, really good young quarterback that has the potential to be a franchise quarterback sitting on your bench because you can trade them for a lot. Uh, you've seen it with with Garoppolo. Uh, you've seen it with uh, the, there, there have been guys over the past several years. They're, they're not all uh, you saw it a few years back with, uh, you know, uh, you know, Drew Brees was there. I guess he didn't get traded. But when they drafted Philip Rivers, you know, look at San Diego when they had Drew Brees and Philip Rivers, they were able to let Drew Brees walk and then they still had a Hall of Fame caliber replacement behind him. That's how you build a successful franchise. Uh, but what the Dolphins did this offseason is they have essentially, like you said, they have gone all in on Ryan Tannehill. Uh, and the fact that their backup quarterbacks are Brock Osweiler, who we know sucks. We know he's not good. Bryce Petty, who we know is not good. And David Fales, who we don't really know whether or not he's not good. But the fact is they went out and they got Brock Osweiler and Bryce Petty should tell you that they know that David Fales is not good. That tells you that if Ryan Tannehill does not perform up to a high level or he gets hurt, there's no backup plan here. And we're with the extension that they gave Tannehill. Um, like he's going to be here for at least the next two seasons. And maybe they have another chance to draft a quarterback in the next year or two. But you don't really know because you don't know, uh, are they going to be eight and eight? Are they going to be six and 10? Are the quarterback, is the quarterback class going to be the same? Because this was considered by most the best quarterback class in years. And they had the opportunity. Now, if you listen to what the Dolphins front office said after the first round, they said that they did not really want to draft a quarterback and that that was all smoke screens and all the people that thought that they were in the market for drafting a quarterback, they were fooled by the smoke screens. And that was the dolphins playing that game to, you know, maybe try to entice somebody to trade up or, 
or maybe to uh, entice some other te- or maybe to keep other teams away from the guy that they truly wanted in Minka Fitz- Fitzpatrick. I'm not 100% sure that I believe it. Um, if I believe it, I'm, I think it's, it's not great <laughs> because I think they really should have been looking to get a quarterback. If I don't believe it, what I, what I believe might have been the case is that there was one guy there that they really liked. And that was Baker Mayfield because they did go out. Gase met with him, worked him out. They also worked out Josh Allen. They might have liked him too. There was not a lot of talk about them and Darnold or them and Rosen. And what I think may have happened is they wanted Mayfield. He went number one. They had no chance at him. They liked Josh Allen, but the Bills went out and traded and the Dolphins did not have the ammunition to make the trade that the Bills made to move up. And then I think with Rosen sitting there at 10, I think the Dolphins would have had a very interesting decision to make had he fallen to them at 11. But I think they just were not enough in love with him to move up, to give up assets to get him. And that's why they decided to stick with Minka Fitzpatrick. And I think that once those four guys came off the board, the Dolphins just decided that none of the other guys there were going to be franchise quarterbacks, and they were just going to go all in on Ryan Tannehill. And I could see their point from that respect. I just think that this was the year to kind of do something bold, to, to look at it and say, we're not really close to competing we don't think that Ryan Tannehill is necessarily the answer. We need to go out and get a franchise quarterback that we feel confident in. And uh, the fact that they didn't do it, maybe that's their way of showing confidence in Ryan Tannehill. Uh, they've got more confidence in him than I do. Uh, he had a nice year, you know, a nice eight, nine game stretch. But that's the best we've seen from Ryan Tannehill in what has been, what, six seasons now? Yeah, and the best be- that we've seen is a nine-week stretch, and that's what we're hanging our hat on? Well, I don't love that. Yeah, I, I I don't love it either. But, you know, we've, we've been over this. We've talked about it. And at this point, the decision has been made. So at this point, we've got to... We've got to just hold on for the ride and hope that Ryan Tannehill can be the quarterback who delivers for us. I mean, at very worst case, it's going to be an upgrade over Jay Cutler. So, you know. Do we know that, though? I mean, do we really know that? Well, if you because look at we, what, if you we, look at what if you look at if you look at what Jay Cutler did last season, if you look at what he produced in the 2017 season, it's difficult to imagine Ryan Tannehill not being better than that. Yet we sat here at this same time last year when Ryan Tannehill got hurt in like the first practice and Jay Cutler got signed and we said, Jay Cutler might be better than Ryan Tannehill or at the least, or at least they're, they're, they're comparable. But then we saw what he did. And there were moments where he looked like a very good quarterback, or at least like a serviceable quarterback, but there were a lot of moments over the course of the season where he just looked terrible. And I just, 
I have a hard time believing that Ryan Tannehill isn't going to be better than that this season. We're going to move on from the quarterback position, Bryn, because, you know, we've been over this before. We've talked ourselves to death about it. We're going to move on from the quarterback position. We talked about receivers. We talked about tight ends. Let's talk about the backfield. Let's talk about the running back situation. Damian Williams leaves the building after Ajayi was traded early last season. So now it's, it's Kenyon Drake's show in the backfield. But then, hold on, here comes University of Miami graduate and NFL veteran Frank Gore. I say graduate. I don't know that Frank Gore actually graduated from the University of Miami. But at I any believe rate, he came out after his junior year. At any rate. Frank Gore is brought in, veteran Frank Gore. And by all accounts, he's still looking pretty good in the preseason. So now you've got this one-two punch in your backfield of Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake. You've also got the new draft pick, Kalen Ballage. And uh, Sonoris Perry is back there too, although I, I think it's a situation where Sonoris Perry may very well find himself on the practice squad for most of the season. But at any rate... That's the Dolphins' backfield, Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. I kind of like that one-two punch there. I, I kind of like the ability to sort of change it up with the different kinds of backs there between Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake. Brain, what do you think about this backfield? I think it's not a one-two punch. I think it's a three-headed monster. I think that Frank Gore was brought in to be a guy that we can trust, uh, that when you need short yardage, when you need somebody that can tote the rock and give you, you know, three and a half, four yards of carry, um, that can spell somebody, uh, he, he can do it. Um, and, and he'll do whatever you need and he'll block and, and all that stuff. And he's just a guy that you can trust back there. And he's a, he's a piece of the backfield. Uh, Kenyon Drake looked fantastic the second half of last year after the Ajayi trade and he has a ton of upside. Uh, but Ballage also a guy with a lot of upside and also a guy similar to Drake that has some versatility to him. And if he impresses in camp and he impresses during the preseason, I don't think that it is as simple as he's the third running back on the depth chart because if he shows potential, I think he could leapfrog Gore on the depth chart and Gore is just that nice guy that you can trust and he's more of an insurance policy more than anything else or maybe a short yardage specialist, whereas the other two guys I think really bring more to the table. I think you, you could even see Kenyon Drake, who has been a, a really good receiver out of the backfield. You could see him in spots where he lines up out of the slot as another piece of the puzzle in trying to replace Jarvis Landry. Uh, and it all comes down to how confident they are with Ballage back there. Um, you know, is he going to do a serviceable job if they give him five to ten carries? Can he catch the ball three or four times out of the backfield? Most importantly for re- for rookie running backs, can he get his blocking assignments down so that he doesn't leave uh, Tannehill or whoever ends up being quarterback if Tannehill gets hurt, so he doesn't leave his quarterback high and dry? Uh, those are there. There's a lot to learn for a rookie running back, but if he picks that all up, I don't think he's necessarily the third running back on this depth chart I think he could very easily uh jump Frank Gore 
Let's move ahead to the offensive line, those big guys up front. Um, I think this is a unit that, despite losing Pouncey, might be able to step up and, and continue to be really strong. Um, Daniel Kilgore looking good at, at the center position. Um, obviously, Tunsil is there. Asiata is there. Ted Larson is there. Juwan James is there. Jesse Davis is there. Josh Sitton is there. Brain, what do you think of this unit uh, up front for the Miami Dolphins? Do the, do the, does this unit have what it's going to take to keep Ryan Tannehill safe and also to make big holes for this running game? The biggest question is whether or not Laramie Tunsil is a franchise left tackle. Because you know that Jawan James is serviceable on the right side. You went out and you and you signed Josh Sitton, who was the number one pass blocking guard in the NFL. And it's kind of indisputable. It's just everybody knows it. Uh, he's given up something crazy like over the, like the last four years, 18 pressures. Not 18 sacks. 18 pressures. That is an unbelievable. And out of how many years? I believe it's it's three or four seasons. I would love to see the number of dropbacks that he has been involved in. Like what what is the what does that count? Like the out of so many dropbacks, he's only allowed 18 pressures. That's insane. I'll look. I'll look it up. It's a it's a pro football focused stat, but he is. Uh, by far the best. And the, the stat was that in that same stretch of time, and granted he's missed a few games with injuries, he's basically played a season and a half's worth of games over the last two seasons, so that affects the numbers as well. But in that same stretch, there have been 44 other guards that have given up as many or more sacks as he has given up pressures. That's 44 other guards. I'm into this. I'm into this guy. He is the best pass blocking guard in the NFL. And unless he gets hurt, which is always a possibility, or he starts to rapidly decline, which is always a possibility when the Dolphins sign somebody, uh, they should be solid at that side. And if Tunsil, if that allows Tunsil to, fo- to not worry about inside help as much and just focus on doing his job and he becomes the Pro Bowl left tackle that they drafted him to be, then the left side of their offensive line is not just solid. It could be one of the best left sides in the league. And then you look at center. And at center, Mike Pouncey was a big name. And when Mike Pouncey played at his highest level, he was a Pro Bowl center. But over the last couple of years, due to injury mostly, he just hasn't played at that same level. And it was a good move to not pay him. And then you, you factor in the uh, the issues that he supposedly had. You know, he's one of those guys that Gase criticized uh, as far as not being ready on Sunday, not doing the work that it takes uh, over the course of the week to get ready for Sunday's games. And then you see the product that he put out on the field. They went out and they got a solid center. 
not a not a great center, not a pro ball caliber center center, but they got themselves a solid center that uh, that should fill in nicely and that will be steady. The question then goes to the right side of the offensive line, where Juwan James, I think we know, is serviceable. He's in a contract situation. He's got he's got to step up. If he can have a big year, the Dolphins will have some will have an interesting decision to make when it comes to his future. But he's got a lot of incentive to have a big year and he's at at worst I think he's a serviceable right tackle. And the real hole, the real question on this line is right guard, but I think they've got enough depth there between Davis and Larson and Asiata, who is coming into his second year, that I think they're going to be okay. And I even think they've got enough depth at tackle now where if it really came down to it and Tunsil did not do the job at left tackle that he did at guard – you could maybe even put him back at guard, whether you put him at left guard and sitting at right guard or you put him over on the right side. Now, I know that that's not the plan, but I think they finally have enough talent and enough depth on this offensive line that they've actually got options on the offensive line, and it should be a solid group. I think it's one of the areas that they really upgraded this offseason. I think... Uh, the offensive line and probably linebacker, the two positions that the Dolphins really upgraded the most in this offseason. Well, let's go over to that other side of the ball then. Let's talk about the defense. Um, and since you mentioned linebackers, let's go ahead and start there. Um, this is the area where they, they've certainly upgraded. I mean, if Raekwon McMillan turns out to be the player the Dolphins thought he or think he is, I mean, you're essentially getting him for free after he missed all of last season with an injury. Um, I, I don't know that I feel as strongly as you do with this linebacker core. I, I've got I've got concerns about Kiko Alonso and Stefan Anthony, um, but I don't know. Tell tell me why you feel like this linebacker core is so strong. Well, those are the guys that you have concerns about. But they added youth and athleticism. They one, you're hoping that Raekwon McMillan is back. I mean, that was your uh, your second round pick last year, or was it the first round pick last year? I can't remember which round uh, he was drafted in. I believe he was second round pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He second was a, round he was, pick. Yeah, that that was your because they they drafted Harris in the first round, and we'll get to him in a second. Uh, but you're hoping to get him back. They went and got according his Ohio to, According to Raekwon McMillan, he is now at 100%. So yeah. there you go. Take well, his word for it. It's training camp. He was 100% last year until the opening kickoff of of the of preseason game number one. So Wait, a lot can happen. Did you really need to go there? You went there. I went there. You did. Look, anyway. I, we got to be honest. That's, that's why we're, I was going to say that's what they pay us to do, but nobody's paying us. Nobody's Nobody paying us right to do mind this. mind would pay us to do this. If you wanted to pay us to do this, tweet at us. Send us a slide in the DMs at same old dolphins. We accept PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo. That's right. 
Um, no, but but between McMillan and they went out and they spent the pick on Jerome Baker, uh, who is just really athletic and by most accounts in his junior year, most actually thought that he was the better prospect after his junior year and McMillan's senior year than McMillan. He had a little bit of a down year in his senior year, which is definitely a cause for concern. But from an athletic standpoint, is a huge upgrade and, again, adds depth. They also went out and got a steal in the seventh round, the linebacker from Ohio, Quentin Poling, who is another guy who may challenge for a starting job on this linebacking core. And then you still have Kiko Alonso and you still have Stefan Anthony. And that's fine. You can have your concerns about those guys. You still have Chase Allen. What you have now is you have depth and you have options. And then you also, by going out and drafting uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, and then you still have TJ McDonald there. Those are guys that can slide down and be that extra guy in the box that, even though they're not line quote unquote linebackers, they can play as linebackers situationally. And so I think that that has made their overall linebacking core much better, at least now than it was this time last year when you were hoping that you'd have Koa Misi <laughs> and he got hurt and you were hoping to have Raekwon McMillan and he got hurt and then you were left with Lawrence Timmons going AWOL, Kiko Alonso, and then uh, Chase Allen and, uh, you know, Hull. Mike and, Hull. And really, yeah. How, and, how do you not love Mike Hull? Right. Fair enough. Okay. I, I, I hear your argument, I understand it, and I am willing to go with you on it for now. You mentioned a couple guys from the secondary, so let's slide there next. Um, I think this could be a big, big year for a certain Xavier and Howard. We really started drinking the Kool-Aid on Xavier and Howard last year. This could be a year where he turns himself into an elite player. Um, between Xavier and Howard... And Rashad Jones, now you are adding into that secondary Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, so you'll have, I mean, you've got some, you've got some ballers out there in the secondary. This, this unit has the potential to be really, really strong, I think. Yeah, this is another area where they really improved, really, mostly because of the draft pick. I mean, which is, is unproven, but Fitzpatrick certainly a great college career and they also get back Tony Lippett uh, who they w- they sorely missed last year. And then you also get, Listen, do you think we could get Minka Fitzpatrick to, to like say some things about Nick Saban? Is that something that he does or that he doesn't do? I don't, I don't know. Didn't he just play his whole college career under Nick Saban? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, but I mean, so you think we can football. get him to turn on? He's a dolphin now. Well, they're football players. They don't say anything when they have interviews. They're, they the the amount of players that say, that say anything during interviews, you can count on two hands, and every single one of them gets absolutely obliterated by the media every time they open their mouth. Okay. Well, so I'm it gonna I'm on a mission. Move them to say anything. I'm on a mission to turn Minka Fitzpatrick into a uh, Nick Saban hater. 
going to bring him to the dark side of petty Dolphin fans. Good luck with that. That's not going to happen. I know. He won how many national championships in his college career playing another guy? Sorry, I'm bitter. I can't get over it. Continue. Yeah, so where was I? Um, Yeah, they're going to get Tony Lippett back, who they sorely missed last year. And you're also getting a year more of experience from guys like Xavier Howard and Cordray Tankersley. So you hope that you're going to see that improvement. When it comes to Howard, that's kind of the guy that they've pegged as he's got to be the shutdown corner. I want to see it. He showed stretches, but he also had stretches where he was abysmal last year. Now, granted, the abysmal stretches seem to happen early in the season, and you saw great play at the end of the season, and you'd rather it go that way than the other way because it's showing progress, and it leaves you with a certain expectation that you're going to continue to see progress and that he's going to make a huge leap this year. If he makes that huge leap, and then on the other side, where you have a battle between Lippitt and Tankersley, if one of those guys can really solidify the other side, it allows Minka Fitzpatrick to be that slot corner, that guy that can roam, that could be on certain play on certain plays an extra corner, on certain plays an extra linebacker, on certain plays a safety, and then you still got an all pro back there in Rashad Jones and a big thumper in TJ McDonald in, in TJ McDonald. It could really be a special unit. I think that the back seven or eight of this of this Dolphins defense has significantly improved, at least from where we are now, at least where we are now compared to where we were at last season. You know, injuries happen. Players underperform. That happens, too. But from from where they are right now, I think that the the back seven of this team that is the spot where this team has really, really improved from where they were a season ago. And, of course, that means the weakest spot on this defense, or, or if you will, the, the, the biggest question mark on this defense is the defensive line. This is where the loss of Sue comes in big. And this is where they really invested in some youth here. Um, and I guess we're going to have to see what this unit has and what they're made of. But it's, it's Cameron Wake, it's Devon Godshow, it's Jordan Phillips, it's Robert Quinn. Andre Branch is in there as well. Willie Hayes is in there. Charles Harris, a big question mark. Talk to me about the Dolphins up front on defense. Yeah, well, first and foremost, you, want the, you, you need to get those edge rushers going. Because the defense, this defense is built around pressuring the quarterback. That's that's the scheme that they play. And that's and and it's essential that they can get pressure on the quarterback with four without blitzing. And Cameron Wake the guy does it every year. Uh he's a freak of nature. At some point he's going to get old and I think you've started to see it you know, where he kind of, he picks his spots more now over the last couple of years than just consistently being this disruptive force. He needs help. 
Because if he's the only guy that can pressure the quarterback, there just simply isn't going to be enough pressure. But that's why they went out and traded for Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn, the last two years, has under has underperformed. But two years before that, he was one of the elite defensive ends in the league. They switched schemes from a 4-3 to a 3-4 over in St. Louis and L.A., and now he comes to Miami where he's back in a more comfortable 4-3, so hopefully that makes the difference and you see the Robert Quinn of old. And probably more important than Robert Quinn, because of his age at this point, and Cameron Wake's age at this point, Charles Harris. This is the guy that they drafted in the first round last year. He got some situational playing time last year and looked good in flashes, but by and large did not make a big impact over the course of his rookie season. Now it's year two. It's time to make that big jump. And if he can do it, well, then you've got that hope that even if Cameron Wake does decline, you've got the guy that can replace him. And then you still got Andre Branch there, who was a huge disappointment after the amount of money that they paid him, but I think is still a solid defensive end. And Willie Hayes, William Hayes, who is just a very solid uh, do-everything defensive end, can put some pressure on the quarterback, great in run stoppage. Uh, just a really solid piece to the defensive end rotation. But you need to have that other guy. Who is the other guy that's going to step up opposite Cam Wake to really be that disruptive force? Because if it's just Wake, it's not going to be enough. They need either Quinn or Harris to be that guy, and preferably both of them. Uh, yes, then you yes, look indeed. at the then you look at the interior of the D line, and I think this is where there's a big hole. You're not going to replace Indomitian Sue, uh, and you're certainly not going to replace him with one guy. And they didn't even try to replace him with one guy. <laughs> they didn't go out and sign anybody. They didn't even go out and draft anybody. They had some opportunities to draft some guys, and they went another direction. Now it's, it's guys that they have drafted over the past few years, most notably Jordan Phillips, who has been inconsistent, uh, but has shown flashes of being a very good defensive tackle. He needs to step up. Godchow and Taylor had decent rookie seasons, but now they have a huge, huge responsibility and huge shoes to fill to, to try to step up to replace Indomitian Sue. And, and then the only other guy that they brought in, uh, they brought in the undrafted free agent out of UCS, uh, UCF, uh, Jemias Pittman, um, not sure how high the expectations are there for him, but maybe can be a serviceable piece of the rotation. That is the biggest concern for me is even if everything else works out, uh, for the defensive ends, the secondary, the linebackers. I worry that they are going to get gashed in the middle. Um, maybe not. Maybe these guys will step up, but I think that is the biggest question mark 
on this team. It's the defensive line as a whole, but most specifically, it's the interior of the defensive line. But, you know, even the the exterior of the defensive line with the edge rushers, I think that that's a big question mark, too. Well, you know, if you need to make the interior defensive line better, what there's not not too many better options than bringing in a member of the national champion UCF Knights, Jemias Pittman, bringing him in to uh, to help out there on the defensive uh, on the defensive line. It's 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 a beautiful thing. Brain, we've pretty much gone through all the positions uh, here, offensively and defensively. Matt Hawk, I think, is pretty much still going to be the punter for this football team. I don't know that we need to ta- spend a whole lot of time talking about that. Um, Jason Sanders and Greg Joseph are the two rookies that are competing to be the um, to be the kicker for the Miami Dolphins at this point. With Cody Parkey uh, leaving via free agency, it's uh, so it's going to be one of those two guys. Sounds like in the early going, it's Jason Sanders' job to lose. Uh, you have any thoughts about the kicking game? Well, they used a draft pick on a kicker, so I would hope that the the guy that they drafted would be the guy. Um, so I'm glad that he's leading. Look, just give me a kicker that's going to make extra points and make field goals. That's it. You really just can't have can't have guys missing missing extra points. I mean, they moved up the the kickoff, so the, most of the kickoffs are touchbacks anyway. So yeah. that's not even a big part of it. Um, and it's nice to have a guy that can make, you know, a 55, 60-yard field goal. But most field goals are going to be, you know, 45 yards and in. Give me the guy that's going to make the majority. Well, they should make more than the majority. They should make about 80 to 90% of those kicks from from 45 yards in. I, I think that's uh, something that we could probably rely on for Jason from Jason Sanders. At least we're going to hope that. Um as we go yeah, through the season, I don't know how here. sure you, I don't know how sure you are. Like, who knows with these rookie kickers? Yeah, and anything is possible when they when they get to the National Football League. Uh, I think that's pretty much just going to wrap up our our opening show of the 2018 season. I don't know how frequently we're going to be back during the preseason. We're going to make we're going to make this show happen as often as possible. We'll try to at least once games start. We'll try to get in at least one one a week. Um, once the season kicks off in earnest, um, but then we're and we're still in the process of figuring out what the schedule is going to be during the regular season. But uh, we'll be back. Re- we will be here regularly during the regular season, even if we are not here regularly during the preseason. But we're certainly going to try to make that happen at, at any rate. Um, I guess we'll close the show here today. Um, first of all, uh, well, first off, Aaron, Brain, why don't you tell the people where they can find you before we close the show here? can find me on Twitter if I ever get back on there, but I am planning on getting back on there, at Aaron the Brain. And you can follow me on Twitter, as I mentioned, at Amplified to Rock. You should follow the show, at Same Old Dolphins. Uh, you should download, rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You should follow us on SoundCloud, Same Old Dolphins Show. Um, just do a search for Same Old Dolphins. You'll find us. We're there. And don't forget, tell all your friends leave us a review those reviews really do help especially if you can leave us a five star review everything that you can that you share with us goes a long way in helping other people find this show um and this week we're going to close the show with on a little bit of a sad note as um former Miami Dolphins head coach Tony Sperano po- passed away this week um at the age of 56 um because of uh 
I guess he had heart disease. Um, pretty sad story, but this was a man who was an absolute legend. Um, he was he was one of those guys that it was a coach that was really easy to love because he was so fired up all the time. And uh, he will live on forever in our hearts and in our memories anytime the Miami Dolphins kick a field goal because, uh, you know, nobody celebrated a successful field goal in the first quarter quite like Tony Sperano. So, Coach, rest in peace. Thank you for introducing the Wildcat and allowing us to beat the living crap out of the New England Patriots that one time in Foxborough. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, Our condolences, of course, to all of his friends and family. And uh, that's going to wrap us up this week. So, for Aaron the Brain, this is Amplified to Rock. This is Josh. We'll talk to you again next time on the same old Dolphin Show. Go Dolphins! Miami's got the Dolphins, the greatest of all teams. We take the ball from the